Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Leighton. I'm here with Pastor Michael Zarling. And our guest today is Mr. Jeff Samuelson. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So Jeff is at Christian Life Resources. So Jeff, can you tell us about the ministry of Christian Life Resources and and then your specific ministry there? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll start with the the easy part, which is which is me. Um, I am the director of ministry advancement for Christian Life Resources, and uh, I, I am responsible for a lot of things. But the main thing I do is I'm the one who goes around uh, to congregations and schools and maybe pastors' conferences or, or whatever organization. Um, and I talk about life issues, life and family issues, and uh, talk also about the ministry of Christian Life Resources. And uh, so I preach, I give presentations uh, and things like that. And then, you know, kind of when I'm back home, uh, the various things I do, one of the things that uh, I have found I really enjoy, we have a podcast of our own. Uh, it's called Life Challenges, and uh, it can be found at lifechallenges.us or on our website at christianliferesources.com. But um, that's an opportunity for us to talk about uh, all sorts of uh, issues, with a very wide range of things. And that's a good way of in- introducing what, what CLR is about. Um, we started really basically as the Wells pro-life group, uh, started, uh, very much just with the idea of, uh, having, uh, pregnancy care centers that would reach out to women who might be, uh, might be considering abortion and, and to give them the information they needed and to share the gospel with them so that, uh, hopefully they would make the right choice and, uh, and, uh, be connected, uh, to Jesus and hopefully to a local church as well. Um, we still have a, a network of, of those centers, uh, but uh, it's, um, you know, over the years, and it didn't take very long, uh, the scope of what we deal with expanded a great deal because uh, what was predicted, you know, long time ago by pro-lifers, which was that, you know, with the cheapening of the value of life that came with legalized abortion would become the cheapening of the value of life and all sorts of other values uh, along with it. Uh, and we have definitely seen that, uh, particularly with issues at the end of life, uh, but all sorts of other things with, with ethics and medical choices and uh, new technologies and things like that, that, that show a real disregard, uh, you know, not just, you know, as we Christians would be concerned about God's authority over life, but even just with the, the value of life in a way that any human being uh, really should be concerned about. And so we deal with that, and because they're connected, we also deal with a wide range of, of family issues, you know, marriage, sexuality, ch- ch- child raising, um, all sorts of different things like that. Um, and uh, we, we have, you know, the resources in our name is is really what we're all about. Uh, our website has just, a, I haven't counted myself, but I'm told we have over a thousand articles there. Uh, chances are that if somebody is looking for information on something, they'll find it there. Uh, and if it turns out that you don't find what you need there, you can write in and uh, we'll we'll give you an answer uh, to the best of our ability or point you someplace that you might otherwise not have found. One of the things then I was wondering about, uh, that just that with Roe v. Wade overturned recently, what have you seen when it comes to life issues and abortion in you know, in Wisconsin and other states, has has abortions increased? Has rhetoric increased? What have you seen? It's hard to put a real get a real good figure on the numbers. Uh, I think it's it's safe to say that abortions nationwide uh, are down uh, since the Dobbs decision last June, which uh, overturned Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade, of course, had legalized abortion throughout the United States, had uh, created a fictional uh, right to abortion from the, in the U.S. Constitution. And when the Supreme Court last year overturned that, uh, that meant that the decision about abortion went back to the individual states. Um, 
some states uh, already well before that had laws on their books that said, yay, abortion, you know, we're, we're all for it. Let's make it possible and legal in every situation. Other states uh, were uh, very much the opposite. They wanted to limit it either uh, significantly or, or ban it entirely. And in those states um, where it's been banned or limited, uh, certainly the number of abortions has gone down. Why I say it's hard to put a number on things is, well, first of all, because it's only been, hasn't even been a year yet since then, and it usually takes a while to collect statistics. Uh, But there are two things that that complicate it. Um, One is that, you know, here in southeastern Wisconsin, um, if there is a woman who gets pregnant and uh, determines that what what she's really going to do is get an abortion, yes, she can't do that here in Wisconsin right now. Uh, but she can drive an hour, hour and a half, cross the border into Illinois and get one there. And then it doesn't show up on Wisconsin statistics, but it w- might show up on, on the Illinois. And it's really hard to keep track of, of that, um, you know, how much the Dobbs decision might have limited that or not. You know, if somebody perhaps in northern Wisconsin, um, you know, might not feel that's an option and uh, might keep her baby, you know, which we're happy about. Um, but it may be less a matter of being convinced that it's the right thing to do and more a matter of feeling she has no way to get you know, access and abortion. The other complicating factor is uh, the rise of chemical abortions, which is basically uh, abortion by pill. Uh, for a long time, you know, a woman who wanted to get an abortion had to go to a doctor, had to go to a clinic somewhere. It was a surgical procedure. Um, but with the rise of chemical abortions, uh, she can get pills from a pharmacy or get them in the mail. And, uh, you know, it's something she does at home. She may never even need to go into a, a clinic or a hospital or anything uh, for it. Uh, she may sometimes. Um, but um, and that's something that by and large, there is no record keeping for. And so it's it's hard really to say say where where things stand with all of that. Long run, what it means is there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of praying. And uh, uh, there's there's no sense in which pro-life Christians can just sit back and say, oh, good, the Supreme Court did its job and we're done. You know, this abortion thing has been settled finally, um, you know, exact opposite, which people who paid attention were predicting. Um, you know, we were no, no one who is really surprised by the increase in rhetoric. I mean, you're probably you're both in Wisconsin. You're aware of, um, you know, the incredible rhetoric rhetoric around the Supreme Court race here in Wisconsin. That's you know, all almost all it seems focused on abortion. Um, the the elections last fall, abortion was very much in the forefront, and that's because Wisconsin is a state where current state law says no abortion. Um, but uh, you know, there are many people in the state and perhaps even a majority in the state who think that there should be abortion. And so it's very much a political issue. And that that kind of thing has been repeated in in many other states in the U.S. Right. And, you know, I was thinking as you were talking about uh, with the chemical abortions, with pills and so forth, uh, about California and Governor Newsom there making California kind of like a sanctuary state for abortions and then even going so far as to decry Walgreens because Walgreens has said, you know, it's illegal to sell the sell these drugs in certain states so they weren't going to do it at all and then you have a governor coming down on a private business about this. Mhm. Yeah, and there's a lot of just plain posturing involved. Um, you know, it, it's it's no secret, and I'm I'm not stepping into church state territory that's I shouldn't by, by pointing out that for a long time now in the United States there has been one party that has been the party that is for abortion, and uh, one party that at least in terms of its rhetoric is against abortion, um, and uh, you know. The, People on the other side, uh, they they use abortion as a rallying call. I mean, you mentioned Newsom's Governor Newsom's uh, you know policies and statements and things like that. Does that actually practically make any difference whatsoever for the people of the state of California? Absolutely not. But uh, it, it sends a message that you know we're we're the the good guys. We're the ones who are on the on the right side of this. And uh, look how strong I'm being, uh, you know, to make that statement. 
Do you have a question, Jeremy? Well, uh, didn't the um, one of the two parties involved in Roe v. Wade, I forget if it was Roe or Wade, but it was, it, and I, I don't even know how that whole court case went uh, as far as, I, other than the outcome of it. But mm -hmm. uh, I think I heard somewhere that the, the one that was really campaigning to have abortion rights uh, ended up completely flipping her uh, view on that and is now a pro-life uh, proponent. Is that accurate? Yeah, I don't know so much about her current status on the issue, but it is true that uh, the woman who was, you know, named Roe in the um, uh, in the uh, the the case, um, she did indeed some years later, uh, you know, go around and you know to the other side and say, you know, I didn't want this. Um, one of the things that that just shows, I mean, if you, if you delve deep into the whole history of Roe v. Wade, you can see what a um, uh, a mockery of the way justice is supposed to work it turned out to be because um with the length of time it takes for things to make their way through through the court system the baby that uh, she had wanted to abort um had long been born by the time it got to the supreme court um and uh the um uh, just the, the various issues there um you know she has said that she basically was was just a a very convenient person uh for legal people who wanted to take this thing all the way to the supreme court they said oh here's somebody who's a good candidate and there really was was very little concern for her as an individual or her situation she was just a, a convenient vehicle uh for what they wanted to do so i served at a church in michigan that was involved with um the, one of the care center, pregnancy care center network in the network that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And I even had an opportunity once to go to one of the um, Christian Life uh, Resources uh, conventions in Wisconsin, which now I live there. But um, I, one of the things that I always thought about was that the neighborhood that they were serving and that the women in the neighborhood they were serving, it, it really wasn't... Um, very much that there was a lot of pressure. Those women weren't feeling a lot of pressure to have abortions. In fact, they were more so um, having uh, interested in having their babies. And uh, it, but then the, the the downside to it was that they were having these babies with many different men and with uh, uh, you know a lot of with kind of broken households. Um, and so the women were trying to work with them on that, but. Uh, it, I, I sort of struggled with, yes, we're helping uh, with the life issue, but uh, are we actually taking any kind of a fight against uh, abortion? And uh, what would you answer to somebody that has a question like that? Well, it, honestly, it is true that we're not on the front line, so to speak, the way um, many would like us to be uh, the way we were in the past. Uh, when we first got started, our, our centers had a, a, a very good um, business model. Uh, and that model was, and this would be in the 80s and into the early 90s, um, a, a woman who thought she might be pregnant, probably didn't have a whole lot of money, maybe because she was poor, maybe she was a, a student. Um, we offered a free pregnancy test. And at the time, uh, getting a pregnancy test done at the doctor's or a clinic or something could cost you 50, maybe even $80. And if you don't have a whole lot of money, um, that's that can be an issue. So we offer it for free. And uh, the way it worked, she would come in, um, you know, meet with somebody, they'd go into the back room to do the things that are necessary for, for the test. And while waiting for the results of that test, uh, then our, our volunteer um, would uh, sit down with her and uh, talk to her, um, talk to her about this is how life develops in the womb. The things you've heard about it just being a clump of cells, that's not true. This is the reality of it. But at the same time, we'd be able to give a message of law and gospel to talk about Jesus with people that we otherwise wouldn't get a chance to talk to. And uh, that worked really well. And at the end of about an hour, the test results would be back and you know then we'd be able to talk to the, the woman about the reality and, and help her with the choices that she had you know moving forward 
Well, not too, well, some time ago, um, uh, the economic factors changed. Um, I have it on good authority now that you can buy pregnancy tests at the dollar store, and they're pretty much instant. Uh, so that whole model that we had back then really just doesn't work. There's there's very little reason for a woman, no matter how poor or desperate, uh, to need to go to one of our centers uh, to to get a pregnancy test, to go anywhere really to get a pregnancy test. Um, I, there is one of our centers that maybe once a month uh, somebody comes in and they, they want one of the tests because apparently at the center they can make it official or certify it in a way that the state um, uh, benefits organization or something will accept uh, or something like that. But, um, and so that meant basically all of our centers had to change their, their model and it, it changed to much more, you know, giving assistance uh, to being, being there to tell women who are having their babies already that, uh, we're going to be there. We're going to help you out. We're going to give you diapers. We're going to help you with clothes. Uh, we're going to be able to assist you with those things. Um, so that, you know, if a month later, you know, this, this woman might otherwise be thinking, Oh, I can't do this. I guess I will get an abortion so that she doesn't have to think that, you know, because she'll say, well, there are people here who care. And uh, what we're able to do with some of our centers, with some of the clients that come in, is is take things even a step beyond that to uh, what's sometimes called mentoring them, uh, to help them, uh, uh, you know, just work with them longer term. And instead of just giving them things and, and, and trying to talk with them about Jesus when they come in to get things, uh, we are trying to uh, teach them, well, this, this is how parenting works. This is uh, what a Christian mother will do and, you know, help in those ways so that there's a longer term engagement. And of course, ideally what we want to do, and there are varying levels of success with this, is connect the people who come into our our, our, our centers uh, with local area churches uh, so that they can um, then, uh, you know, have a, a church home, because in most cases they don't, uh, and uh, hopefully get the gospel to them in that way. Switching gears a little bit is looking at end-of-life issues. <clears throat> I was looking at your website, and I would encourage all of our listeners to go to the Christian Life Resources website, uh, and you'll find a lot of information on there about Christian decision-making when it comes to end-of-life issues. But one thing, Jeff, is why would it be so important for our our listeners to to go to the website and then look at what you have about medical directives and so forth. Yeah, medical directives are actually the most downloaded item from our our website, and, and we're happy about that because that's something that that's really important. Um, most people have heard of a living will. Uh, pretty much any adult who goes to a doctor today or a hospital, um, you know, if, if it's your first visit, you're going to be given a sheet to fill out saying whether you want to take advantage of the, you know, what they offer as far as a living will and, and things like that. And that's something that um, you know, there, there are federal regulations and such that, that say this is required. And while we won't say that living wills per se are, are bad or a bad idea, there is something that's, that's much better. Um, we, we, it's called a durable power of attorney for healthcare. And this is something that really anybody over the age of 18, any Christian over the age of 18, should have, should, you know, study and, and fill out and have, have on file. Um, this is the thing that, that says legally and officially, who gets to make decisions about your care if you are, um, if you become incapacitated, you know, if you're in a car accident, uh, if you get really ill, if you go into a coma, uh, if you develop dementia or something like that, um, you know, obviously it's going to be seem to be of greater importance if you're older in age or you've got some some major health problems, but really nobody can you know guess when something bad might happen to you, and so it's good to have in any situation at any age, and that's because you don't want uh, decisions about your care being made by you know just the doctors, just by the hospital, just by your health insurance organization. Um, you know, by people who don't share your values. And, you know, even in a case, you know, um, you know, maybe you've got a family member who is not much of a Christian or not any Christian at all, or who simply doesn't share your values on 
on life and what's important. And uh, you don't want that person making the decisions about whether to continue to your care or pull the plug or, or whatever it might be. And um, you want to entrust that power within a person who can look at an entire situation and, and make decisions based on the unique characteristics of that situation, rather than just putting a blanket statement into a, uh, a living will, um, which uh, may cover situations that you might not really want covered, uh, might kind of put a straitjacket on your doctors and, and the health professionals. You know, there, there might be things that they'd say, you know, we'd be able to do this thing for you right now, which would really help. But your document says we can't even consider that. So I guess that's it. Um, and it's much better, therefore, to have have this document, to have an agent uh, who is going to be able to make those decisions for you. And that document is downloadable for free on our website. Um, and uh, if you want, if you have an estate attorney, you can show it to, to him or her after you know filling it out. And they will probably say, hey, this is good because many of them do that. And, um, you know, it's it's a chance to uh, make a Christian uh, confession of, of faith. Uh, while at the same time taking care of uh, the possibility uh, that uh, you might be incapacitated at some point. Fantastic. Thanks. Jeremy, you want to get into the gospel lesson for this Sunday? Indeed. John chapter 11, selected verses. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many Jews had come to Mar Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never perish. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus was deeply moved again as he came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Take away the stone, he said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, because it has been four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out with his feet and his hands bound with strips of linen and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus told them, loose him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and, and saw what Jesus did believed in him. So we'll start with you, Jeremy. Why was it important that Bethany was near Jerusalem? It was the uh, cultural or religious center uh, societally. Uh, it would give a lot of popular, um, it, was a, it was a wider audience for Jesus and a wider audience of very influential people. Yeah, and I was thinking too with that uh, because the verses that are skipped in the beginning of this text from John 11, uh, the disciples are nervous, you know, worried about going to Bethany because it's so close to Jerusalem because that's where the religious leaders who are enemies of Jesus uh, have made themselves enemies of Jesus. That's where they are. And uh, they're afraid that Jesus, who's been kind of out in the wilderness away from the enemies for a time, that they're going to come after him. And that's where Thomas says, well, let's go so that we might even die with him. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff, when Jesus heard about Lazarus' sickness, he said this happened so that God might be glorified. What did he mean by that? Well, God had a plan 
And his plans always result in, in two things, what is best for his people and his glory. And uh, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Um, he, he knew that the sickness that uh, Lazarus had was going to mean that he was going to die. Um, he also knew that he was going to go there and raise Lazarus from the dead. Um, you know, so he knew what was going to happen at the end of it. Uh, but none of that meant that what was going to happen was uh, going to be happy for everyone or, or painless or, or easy even to understand. Um, just saying that it, it's all going to end with grace and glory. And, um, you know, he was confident of that and he wanted his followers to also be confident of that. Well, I like what you said there about this was part of God's plan. Uh, because I was thinking of uh, the district mission board and board for all missions meetings that I just came back from for two days at the synod office. And they were blessed as we were talking about the synod's initiative starting this year of starting 100 new churches over the next 10 years. And we were blessed to approve starting nine new starts this year. And uh, and then I talked about one of the enhancements of uh three years of funding for a congregation to get them on a new mission initiative. And that was approved for our district. And when I was given the tour of our district and I talked about this congregation, I said the same thing as part of God's plan, part of God's providence that this congregation became sick, kind of like Lazarus, that they used to be healthy, several hundred members. And then over time, they just dwindled down and, but I said, well, you know, maybe this is part of God's plan so that now they have something brand new that would never have started if the congregation was healthy. But now mm -hmm. there's a new life for a ministry there of reaching out to uh, to new families that are in that area that would not have been reached otherwise. Jeremy, on an earlier occasion, Mary had shown great trust in the Lord when she sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him while Martha seeming to be distracted with serving. This time, however, the tables were turned. How did Martha's faith shine? With what she said, uh, she was clearly had some kind of frustration that uh, she made the comment about, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, but uh, very quickly put that aside to say that uh, I know God will give you whatever you ask. And she knew about the resurrection on the last day. Um, and then uh, also affirmed that uh, Jesus is the Christ that uh, is the savior of the world. So I got a question with that, Jeremy, do you think it was frustration on the part of Martha? She said, Cause she could say it this way, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Or do you think it was faith you know, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know if I can, I'm not a good actor, I, but I'm just, I, think it was... I, I just wonder because I've, I've struggled with that for, for a long time, you know, because we don't hear her emotions. So I'm just wondering what you think about her emotions there. What I imagine it being and this reading cuts out the part where Mary comes and talks to Jesus and uh, she says the, exact same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And uh, it gives me the impression that this was something that they were, that when you do deathbed type of vigils with people, um, it, it's very tiresome. Uh, there, there's a lot of repetitious activity going on or inactivity, actually. And, uh, and so you, you end up saying a lot of the same things and you end up uh, covering a lot of the same ground that, that you already covered before. And so I just sort of imagine them as they're watching their brother pass away, um, saying, well, when Jesus gets here, he, he will stop Lazarus from dying. When Jesus will get here, he'll stop Lazarus from dying. And, and maybe it kind of even became a little bit of a mantra. And then finally, when he died, uh, the mantra just sort of changed a little bit and, and said, uh, if Jesus would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And I think there's probably a little bit of both sentiment in it of, um, yeah, why didn't Jesus show up? But also uh, the expression of faith that Jesus has the power over death. So that's that's sort of the impression I get from the context. Well, Jeff, one you of the interesting anything? things, 
Yeah, one of the, one of the interesting things uh, when we go to the Greek, and I, I think only a few English translations uh, reflect this, is in verse um, twenty-seven. Um, uh, Jesus has just asked her, you know, said, "I am the resurrection and the life." do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. She told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who was to come into the world. But the Greek tense of the verb there is I is a perfect, which means it could also be translated as have believed. Um, and I just kind of, again, I'm just, this is my imagination, just kind of wondering. And I, I kind of picture her Martha at this point in, in a kind of faithful frustration saying, yes, Lord, I, I have believed this. I have been a believer. I have trusted you, but I'm struggling a little bit right now because you didn't come through the way that we were expecting you to. And, you know, again, it's in the verses that are, are not included in, in the reading for, for Sunday, but it's just like after she said this, Martha went back to call her sister Mary. There's nothing that says Jesus said, go get Mary. Um, it's it's almost as though she says it, and that's the most I can handle right now, Lord. I'm going to go get Mary. <laughs> and then she tells Mary that the teacher is calling for her, which, again, isn't actually in the text. Um, so I, I kind of picture Martha as, yes, having faith, but that faith is very much uh, under strain at this point, because she knows the power of, of her Lord. You know, she did the right thing. As soon as she heard Jesus was near, she went out to him. You know, with her, she had a deep spiritual need, and she went right to the person that she should go to. But there was still strain on her faith, faith there. And um, so she goes away. You know, and I imagine that when Martha runs out and says, and, and greets Jesus, you know, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, that that probably broke Jesus' heart. You know, I think sometimes we forget that he's also human. And we see that humanity later on at the cemetery when he does weep. And, you know, just wondering, too, when she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And him thinking, well, you're right. And that, but that's why I didn't show up until now. And we'll get to mm -hmm. those questions in a little bit. So, Jeff, what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the resurrection and the life? Trust me. <laughs> uh, ultimately, that's that's really what he's saying. It's, you, know, um, you know, you don't need to ask me to ask God. I am right here. Um, I There's no need for an intermediary. You know, right now, the very God with the power of life is, is standing here before you. Uh, but at the same time, he's, he's looking ahead. He's saying, I am the one whose victory over death uh, is going to give you and give all who believe in me eternal life and, and guarantee your and everyone's resurrection uh, to glory. Um, you know, he's, he's making a great statement, not just about his, about his power, uh, but also about his, his, his love and his utter trustworthiness that, uh, you know, if she looks to him, uh, everything she needs and desires, you know, he will give her. When I think, too, that he's also referencing his divinity and that this is one of those first I am statements. I was working mm -hmm. ahead on the Easter lessons, and there we're going to hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. Here I am the resurrection and the life. But just for our listeners to to hear when he says, I am He's going back to uh, when he's speaking to Moses in the burning bush. And this is one of those things that got the the religious leaders who are two miles away in Jerusalem so upset because Jesus is saying, you know, he is the triune God. Mm -hmm. Jeremy, what does Jesus mean when he says, whoever lives and believes in me will never perish when people die and perish all the time? But uh, it's not permanent. It's not going to be a permanent perishing. Um, and uh, also, that it, your your soul is uh, an important component of who you are, too. And your soul can be alive or it can be dead. Uh, and believing in Jesus means that your soul is alive. 
And that is something that even your bodily death cannot uh, interfere with. And picking up on that, you mentioned this earlier, Jeff, uh, why those end of life decisions are so important in having, you know, like a medical directive, because if you want to just touch on that, how can this give as a Christian, give a Christian testimony of death is not the end for us by having a, a medical directive? Yeah, well, as much as, you know, one of the, the visible problems that our world has in regard to death is that people are thinking that it's it's within their power and right to choose their own death uh, through assisted suicide and things like that. What's really more common is fear of death. Um, and it's a, a paralyzing fear. You know, you, all the people who die without wills, you know, people in their 80s, even 90s, which is, I just, I just never got around to it. Why? Because they're, they're afraid to think about it, let alone do anything about it. And uh, one of the things that you can do through a document like uh, our, our Christian you know, Durable Power of Attorney for Healthcare is that you can assert your confidence that, um, hey, you don't need to do absolutely everything that could possibly be thought of by some doctor somewhere to keep me alive because I'm confident that if I die, you know, Jesus, the resurrection and, and the life will bring me home. I, I, I'm not scared to die. You know, it doesn't mean I'm looking, you know, to do it, you know, as soon as possible. Uh, but you can make a, a statement of faith in that. Um, and that can be a real testimony uh, to your lawyer, to the doctors, to the nurses, and, and everyone around saying, I'm not afraid of this, you know, and even while you're incapacitated, because that document and your agent will be speaking for you. Yeah, what you were saying there reminded me of a conversation I had with some of our <clears throat> homebound members last week, and they're in their 90s. And I said, you know, it would be a good idea if the next time I, I came to visit you after Easter, if I brought along uh, my do a document I have on planning my Christian funeral, and <laughs> they shook their head. They they don't want to think about it, and they're in their nineties. But I told mm -hmm. them your your children aren't around here. They're not going to be any help to me in planning the funeral. They don't know what scripture readings uh, you want. They don't know your baptism date and wedding. They might know your wedding date, but. They don't know your confirmation date, where those great events of your faith took place. Mm -hmm. They don't know your your favorite hymns, your testimony of yeah. faith, what you want in scripture readings. This is a testimony, like same thing with the uh, what you were talking about with end of life issues. It's the same thing. Let's let's plan these things. I would encourage our listeners to also talk to your pastor about getting something written down. Give it to them for their in the church office. Keep it in your own documents so that your family knows this and so forth. Our members here at Water of Life can ask me. I'll send it out just around Easter, too, so we have these things. Because that's a big help for a pastor and a family, uh, you know, as they're grieving. As You know, I've talked about this recently with some of our members that have to deal with, as soon as their father dies, now the next day they can't even grieve because they're, doing all of the funeral arrangements, memorial mm -hmm. arrangements that dad never took care of. Yeah. Yeah. And there are big questions, you know, it's like, um, you know, what would, would mom want to have wanted to be buried or cremated? Um, you know, uh, which would, would she want to be buried here where she's been living the last five years or back home where, you know, all her roots are. And, you know, it, it's it's important to to do those things. It's an act of love toward your survivors. Yep. And <laughs> to, to yeah. And one of the things is, well, do we do it at the funeral home where it's a little less expensive, or do we do it in the church where now it's expensive because you got to move everything back and forth? But this would be a big testimony of mom's faith. And yeah, hard mm -hmm. feelings can happen. So Jeremy yeah. Martha had expressed a strong faith, yet we see her faith severely tested. What command of Jesus? Did she object to and why? Uh, she suggested that they not open up the grave because of the smell of Lazarus's body already starting to decay. 
So I had a question on this because I had preached on this text for our midweek Lenten services. And when I was at another church, they were asking about the Jews because they said that they don't embalm their bodies. But uh, they did mention about how like the ladies came to prepare Jesus' body on Easter Sunday. He was risen. But what was the point then of the of the ladies, you know, putting the the spices and the herbs and all those things underneath the wrapping if it wasn't embalming? It was the smell. Um, they were sweet smelling things to cancel out the odor that, that would have been coming from from the decaying flesh. Um, it is interesting again, just you know, quick look at the the Greek yesterday that uh, most of our English translations uh, smooth this out. You know, Lord, there is an odor, but but the Greek is more, Lord, it stinks, or perhaps He stinks. Um, you know, and um, you know, the, so the sweet smelling spices were to uh, it wouldn't stop the body's decay, but it would help cover cover some of the smell from it. It wasn't an embalming in the sense of uh, like the Egyptians or even modern embalming that there you remove organs and fluid and and things like that. Uh, it, it, but it, you could still say it was it was an embalming in the sense that that, that there was a, a way of handling the body, washing it, wrapping it, putting those things on it. Um, so it, it's it's not it's it's two different types of embalming, I would say. Right. So then Jeff, John tells us in his gospel that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed in the place where he was two more days. Why do you think he waited two more days before going to Bethany? It, it sounds harsh, but it was kind of to make sure that Lazarus was dead when he got there. Um, you know, the, simply the time wasn't right yet. You know, At the beginning of John's gospel, we have the story of the wedding at Cana. Um, his mother Mary comes to him and, and says, "Hey, they're out of wine," and he says, "It's not my time yet." Um, and all, all throughout the scriptures, where it's made very clear that that God's timing is is important, and since He knows all things, we we can trust that. And this was a case where the time wasn't right yet for him to show up in Bethany. It wasn't time yet for him to just heal Lazarus. It was necessary that this much much greater miracle uh, be done. Um, because there was a lesson that would needed to be taught. And that was always the case with the miracles. They, they were a witness to some greater fact, some greater truth. And uh, that's what was necessary uh, in this situation. And so he needed to wait uh, in order for that to happen. So, Jeremy, Jesus knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he still wept. What does that tell us about how we as Christians conduct ourselves at funerals? Um, one thing that's pretty popular these days is uh, to call funerals a celebration of life. And uh, I've even heard pastors take that and, and turn it in. It, it's, a, it's a fine thing. Uh, they turn it in and say uh, a celebration of eternal life. And all of those things are good and fitting, so I don't want to trash them. But uh, at the same time, um, I, I think it's not being honest to admit that we are feeling emotions of sadness. And it's not sinful to feel emotions of sadness. That's what Jesus is uh, demonstrating here. He's, he's sinless, and yet he is crying. Um, I, I think... There, there could be applications made to the fact that uh, in our, our culture, maybe even in our Germanic uh, uh, Lutheran culture, that we think you, we have to be tough guys and, and not let our emotions out. Uh, and that's not what you see with our Savior here. So um, it's kind of a comforting thing for me, really, to, to realize that uh, it's a perfectly sanctified and Christ-like thing to let your emotions out. And there I was thinking of where St. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we grieve, uh, but not like the rest of men who have no hope. You know, we can grieve and we can sorrow. Uh, I, I know uh, family members that 
continue to grieve over the loss of a family member. I'll talk in my sermon this Sunday. I'll be preaching on the Old Testament lesson of the uh, Shunammite woman whose son died, and and yet Elisha, by the grace of God, raises him back to life. And and I'll talk about uh, out of all the funerals I've done, and I've done dozens upon dozens. I've been blessed to be able to do that. And yet the hardest one was for a week old baby. That was a, that was a tough funeral, but it was the tougher thing was going over and meeting with the mom and dad in, in the home. And your know, mom was almost mm-hmm. unconsolable. You know, I can't even, you know, the I'm sermon theme is, Oh, what, let me finish this with that there. I think of the sermon theme is going to be Elijah or Elisha saying to mom after the kid was raised back to life pick up your son but you know i'm thinking of that and i'll talk about this is i can't imagine that mom or dad picking up their son knowing that he was dead and 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 yet god has blessed them and it's taken a long time they still don't overcome the grief and yet they have a resurrection comfort go ahead jeremy uh i i was not wanting to cut you off, I apologize about that. Um, I, I just realized as soon as I said it uh, about a sanctified thing to let your emotions out. Um, I, I just want to add to that the word um, within reason that, it, that it's not a sanctified thing necessarily to vent or to be uncontrollable. I think you kind of said that with we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Uh, but uh, it, it certainly is godly to have emotions. That's how God created us. Yeah. And where you said that, I think of a funeral that I was at for a family member and who had been killed in an accident. And so he was, you know, it was obviously a surprise to everyone and a shock. And then I think it was a sister or a cousin after the funeral. And as the casket was being laid, loaded into the hearse and everyone was kind of going about their business, getting their coats on and so forth. You can hear that family member outside just wailing, you know, that would be, you know, that letting out that grief. Um, but I want to talk about two here while you were talking, Jeremy, I was thinking of a funeral that I've done recently and I, I'm going to guess you guys don't like doing this either. I don't like preaching for funerals of people who are not members and the reason for that is because he can't testify to their faith. But I asked, I was asked to do that recently for a brand new member whose dad had passed away and he didn't have a pastor. So I told the family, I, I can't testify to your dad's faith in the, in the sermon because I didn't know him. It's not honest. So what we did was I wrote a Christian obituary with them where they testified to their dad's faith through the life. And then I just explained in the sermon, I didn't know him. I can't testify to his faith. That's what the Christian memorial was. But the family wanted me to just talk about Jesus and the resurrection of faith. And that was a wonderful, because they wanted that that opportunity to be able to share resurrection faith in a time when obviously the family and friends are thinking about death. So I don't know if you guys have had occasion to do things like that. Yeah, I, I, in my ministry in the parish, I had very few funerals. Uh, it was a function of the area that I was serving in and, and such, and uh, actually had more funerals in the three months that I uh, served a vacancy here last summer uh, than I had in, I think, the previous 10 years in my, my in the parish. But, um, you know, it's, it is so important. You know, you, your, your question had been uh, about, you know, our, our conduct and our attitudes at, at funerals and, and, and when, when someone dies. It's so important, as you were saying, to be sensitive to, to what it is that the people need to hear. Um, you know, can, can you imagine, you know, some, you come across a, a fellow church member who is, um, just wailing, you know, she just found out that her mother died. And if you were to say, oh, don't cry, don't worry, God works everything out for the good. I mean, that's insensitive. Um, you know, you, you grieve alongside, you cry with them, you offer a shoulder or whatever. Yes, you offer assurances, 
uh, but not in any kind of trite or cliched way. You need to be sensitive to that. That's, um, you know, that's really what we see with Jesus weeping here at, at the tomb. He's not weeping because Lazarus is dead, because he knows he's going to be raising Lazarus. He's weeping because he sees what this has done to Mary and to Martha and the other people who loved uh, Lazarus. You know, he is troubled because their hearts are troubled. And, um, you know, that his, you know, that, that ex- wonderful expression, his heart went out to them. And that's what we want to imitate too. You know, uh, we don't necessarily grieve the death of everyone that uh, we do a funeral for, or attend a funeral for. Um, we don't, we don't have that sense, same sense of loss always. You know, maybe we didn't know the person at all, um, but we recognize that the people we are dealing with do, and we want to show Christ's love in the same way that He did. And sometimes that means maybe not weeping along with them, uh, but at least a, a tremendous amount of sensitivity. Is there anything else you guys want to bring up with the gospel lesson before we move on to the epistle? Nope. All right, Jeremy, you want to get into Romans 8? Romans 8, 11 and 19. And if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who is dwelling in you. So then, brothers, we do not owe it to the sinful flesh to live in harmony with it. For if you live in harmony with the sinful flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the the actions of the body, you will live. Indeed, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery so that you are afraid again, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we call out Abba, Father, Spirit himself joins our spirit in testifying that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, we are also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, since we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I conclude that our sufferings at the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. In fact, creation is waiting with eager longing for the sons of God to be revealed. So, Jeff, through his spirit, Paul says God has breathed new life into our mortal bodies. What changes does that bring about? As much as we might wish that it means that uh, we're, we're not going to suffer physical death, um, that's that's not the case. Uh, weakness and illness and everything that precedes death still comes to all of us because our, our bodies uh, still bear uh, the curse of sin. But Jesus didn't suffer, die, and rise again just to save our souls. Uh, He saved us in our entirety, body and soul. So the new life and salvation that the the Spirit gives us through the means of grace when when we believe and and continue to believe, um, it changes the status excuse me, it's just the status of our bodies uh, as well. Um, they are no longer destined for the fires of hell, um, but they're destined for the eternal life and, and bliss in heaven. And this, um, you know, it, this, this verse is a wonderful way of, of saying our mortal bodies will become immortal uh, because of uh, what, uh, what, what the spirit works in us uh, along with, with faith. And, uh, you know, Paul's, uh, Great Resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 um, makes that point very, very wonderfully. Um, just to also add that this, this verse here in, informs why we confess our belief in the resurrection from the dead in the third article of the creed, you know, in connection with the work of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, just to pick up on that, what you were saying there, it made me think of how oftentimes we can get into danger and even in a false doctrine, when we try separating the two natures of Christ, well, he's doing this according to his human nature or his divine nature. No, he's united. I think sometimes we forget about the two natures that make up uh, us as humans, that we have both a soul mm-hmm. and a body. Jeremy, yeah, how do Christians... Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that there is a lot of, you know, to use a fancy term, Gnosticism that has worked its way uh, not just into society, but even into to our, our church culture these days. You know, you'll occasionally hear comments at a, at a funeral or something like that, pointing at the body, you know, speaking of it as though that's just a husk, you know, that, that that's not really grandpa. Well, yes, it is. Uh, it's just that his his soul is not a part part of that anymore. But but we have faith that that body will be 
put back together with the the soul at the end. Um, you know, there there is a duality, a reality there uh, that is is too often uh, overlooked these days. Thank you for bringing that up. I, that's a real frustrating thing for me too. That um, and people, I think people look at me like I'm crazy when I say this, but um, it it's almost kind of gets on my nerves a little bit how much we say, well, you die and you go to heaven, you die and you go to heaven, you die and you go to heaven. And that is true. When you die, you see the Lord, you go to be with the Lord. But I, I, the, I was going to leave this unmentioned because I feel like we've, this is like the third or fourth time in recent history that uh, we've covered Mary and Martha uh, in, at least at our church. Um, yeah, so I, I, I wasn't going to mention it, but it, I often like to say, what was the first thing that Jesus said when he went to comfort somebody at a funeral? It was what he said to Martha. The first words out of his mouth were, your brother will rise again. He didn't, he didn't say, well, your brother's soul is in heaven and that's uh, the most important thing. No, the most important thing is I'm going to put the soul and the body back together. And that's, that's what we uh, can look forward to. Uh, they, well, we'll probably get into talking more about that with uh, verses 18 and 19, the, the new creation. Well, and then picking up on that, I just saw this, you know, doom scrolling through Facebook and someone saying, well, haven't just gained another angel today. That's another one of my pet peeves because yeah. uh, I, I heard what you said, Jeff. I've heard it's amazing how people say the same things. You know, it's just a husk. He's not there. But they say the same thing because you guys both laughed of uh, people saying, well, they became an angel. No, you don't become an angel. We are our human bodies and our souls. And, you know, that's a good point, Jeremy. I know I've said this before. Jeremy's heard me say this is I've I've been trying to stress even not so much the joy of going home to heaven, but the joy of going to be with Jesus. It just happens to be it's in heaven, but the main thing is we're going to be with our Lord and Savior. Uh, so, so Jeremy, how do Christians put to death the actions of the body? Uh, remember your baptism. Um, that, that That is the first thing that comes to mind as I'm glancing back over the verses, though I'm trying to get a little more specific answer um, that... Uh, I, I think it's interesting how he's talking about not living in harmony with the sinful flesh. And so I guess what it's saying is cause, he, he, you need to cause a disharmony in yourself. And that's kind of an odd thing to, to think. I, I don't want to feel harmonious. Why wouldn't I want to feel harmonious? But uh, if it's your sinful flesh, then uh, you, you actually want to disrupt what that, what those desires are. Um, I, I guess I'm not, my eyes aren't falling on the verse well, uh, where you're, you're driving at. Well, I, I was thinking there of uh, verse 13 and following, we do not owe it to the sinful flesh to live in harmony within it, with it. For if you live in harmony with the sinful flesh, you're going to die. Uh, but if by the spirit you put to death the actions of the body, you will live. So you have to put to death that. So remember your baptism, drown your old Adam. And I wanted to pick up on what you said there of disrupt and disharmony and bring this to Jeff. Uh, I'm wondering, I didn't spend a lot of time on your website, but are you guys focusing some things now on transgenderism? Is that a part of your ministry? Because it's just exploded. And, and the reason I thought of it here was just because I think the whole concept of transgenderism is people are trying, they're not willing to disrupt their body. They're not willing to live in disharmony. They're just going along with whatever their mind and body are sell, saying, or I think it's a social contagion instead of saying, no, this is what God says. You, He created you as a woman. He created you a man. This is what you are. Put these sinful things to death. Yeah, there is so much confusion out there in society. In some cases, it's it's mutually contradictory, and people are still holding to both sides of it. There was, I believe, it was a Lady Gaga song or album or something some years back, "Born This Way," um, and you know, people will say, "Ah, well, 
You know, I should be this, whether they're talking about homosexual or bisexual or transgender or whatever, because because this is the way I was born. I just I have to uh, you know live well, using the kind of language here. I have to live in harmony with my body or what I think my body might be, subjectively speaking. Um, and you know, well, we can certainly understand that in in non Christians, um, you know, lamenting it all along, but. For, for believers, we have to say, well, well, no, that, that's not it. There are all sorts of things that my body might want uh, that uh, we have to say no to, you know, whether that's going to be an extra Big Mac at, at, at lunch or, um, you know, uh, sexual sin or, or, or whatever it might be, or you know, just lying on the couch when you're supposed to be doing something else. Um, there are, are so many ways that we, we have to do this, you know, you know speaking positively, you know, we, we do this by simply doing what is right. You know, we, we give no support or, or fuel to the, the desires of our, our sinful flesh. But there are also ways in which we have to deliberately also say no to uh, to our pet sins, our, our personal struggles, uh, the temptations that come at us from the world all around us. And yes, getting back to your question, that is something that uh, CLR is dealing with an, an, an awful lot these days. We are looking into it, uh, don't have you know anything like a publication date or anything, but uh, we we're expecting to be putting something out uh, in the future because it is a question that we get a lot. And it is definitely a concern, and uh, it, it it is just left left the Christian Church in this country pretty much flat footed uh, with the way that the whole transgender thing just blew up in a moment. Sure, yeah, and I think of I, I've seen seen a couple of stories lately, and some videos are just heartbreaking. Of the one I was thinking of, it was a young man, probably like nineteen years old, comes out. I think it was on the Doctor Phil show, and this is a couple of years ago, but it just showed up in social media again where he comes out and now he's a woman supposedly and his uncle who had raised him from childbirth because the parents had died he's just distraught he's just heartbroken because he he, and you know the audience you know they're on the young man's side who's just destroyed his dad and so people just don't understand this kind of thing and you're right i think we in the christian church are, are way behind the times on how to deal with this because I've had to deal with it with some of our, uh, our members. And I think some people will say, well, this wouldn't happen to a good family. No, <laughs> I can testify. It does happen to a good family, to good kids because they're listening to others in the culture. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, last one I, I want to bring to you, Jeremy is skipping to those end of those verses. Since you brought those up is that Paul doesn't minimize our sufferings. He says that our sufferings at the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. What does he mean by that? And how does that help us endure suffering? I, I kind of struggle with this verse because you can't, he says they're not worth comparing. And yet he talks about them in the same sentence. So he, you almost can't, uh, talk about this verse without comparing them a little bit, um, but uh, it's uh, the the, fin- the final point is that they they aren't worth comparing. That uh, it, it's it's not a good use of our time to even think about uh, our our pain that we're suffering when you're going to think about. The, the future glory that is re- that is going to be revealed in the new heavens and the new earth uh, th- that that is it's almost like let, that's a whole different discussion if you want to talk about uh, everlasting life um, then th- this suffering right now won't even be on the radar it won't be um, anything that seems like a big deal to us at all even if, if we're, maybe we, maybe we won't even be aware of it but if we are aware of it it won't be uh, anything that is uh, uh, troubling to us, and uh, and so if that's what we have to look forward to, then uh, we don't need to let that the the suffering or the pain overwhelm or um, guide our lives here on this earth. Jeff, you have anything else you want to add with that? Oh, it's just that um, 
I'm, I'm not going to say that that this was the whole Holy Spirit's or Paul's I- intention here, but you know, also within this this uh, section is where you know Paul's talking about how we have the spirit of sonship. It's emphasizing that that wonderful reality of of you know we are God's children. He is our Father, and and that the connection you know for me there is is the way that as we as parents um, deal with the problems that our kids have. You know, our two year old you know throwing a tantrum. You know, we know that the fact that he got uh, chocolate milk instead of um, uh, plain milk today uh, is not a really big deal. But right now, that is the most important thing in the world to that toddler. And our uh, 14-year-old daughter, uh, who is just heartbroken and devastated, wonders how she's going to be able to get up the next morning because the boy she liked uh, doesn't like her back. Um you know, from our adult perspective, we say that's no big deal at all. But in that moment, that is the biggest thing for them, for the for the child. And that's, I think, you know, kind of an eternal godly perspective on, on so many of our things that, you know, it is very real when we're suffering with whatever it might be, whether it's, you know, emotional issues or mental issues or cancer or, 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 or whatever it might be. It's very real. But in the eternal perspective, you know, we can look, you know, kind of look back at it and say, well, well no, it's not. You know, you might imagine it with a, you know, a, a balance scale. And at any given moment in life, you, you take, you know, what, what you're dealing with and you put it on, on one side. And, you know, maybe it's, it's the size of a small rock. Maybe it's a, a boulder that you feel like you're dealing with. And then the Holy Spirit comes along, and on the other side of the scale, he puts a mountain, or maybe a mountain range. And you just realize there's no comparison here. Those glories are so much beyond everything that, okay, I know I'm still dealing with this, but I can look beyond that to this wonderful thing that comes beyond. Well, and I appreciate that analogy because it's the same analogy I used in a devotion about an hour ago okay. uh, that I, I like the mountain mountain range and boulder. I use the scale analogy as I was coming back from our board for missions meetings. I had a devotion with one of our, our friends that he was in a really serious car accident a month ago, smashed up his leg. Uh, they put metal plates in because he had no bones. They were all shattered in his left leg. And then after they got that all done, now he was just got out of surgery yesterday. He had an infection in there, but just all mm-hmm. these sufferings. And so I, I used your analogy. And then I also used, because I know talk about what I know about. So I talked about bicycling and I said, you know, this summer, my wife thinks I'm crazy. I want to bike from Racine up to Ellison Bay in Door County, which is 220 miles. And I told him halfway through, I'm going to say this really sucks. This is really stupid. This is painful. But Lord willing, when I get there, the glory of just sitting there, having a beer, having steaks with mushrooms, having sitting on the deck, you know, that all that pain is going to be, Lord willing, forgotten. Well, that's a silly analogy compared to what heaven being with Jesus is really going to be like. And then mm-hmm. I and then I I prayed with them and then i said afterwards after i said amen i said mike just you know i i didn't close my eyes while we were praying because he knew i was driving on the interstate and everyone would be safe (laughs) all right anything else you guys want to bring up with this text all right uh before we close i want to invite uh, all of our listeners if you're in the racine area to come to water of life in the afternoon of april 16th i'm going to have a presentation and a book signing for Resisting the Dragon's Beast, and you're all invited. Uh, So this is Michael Zarling with Jeff Samuelson, and see things in a different lightning. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.